Hi, Rebecca here. Uh, this episode deals with um, both abuse and eating disorders, so I want to just put a trigger warning on there. I also want to add that if you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, uh, you can text NEDA to 741741. Um, I'll put this in the episode description. Uh, you can also call 877-908-9612. Um, and that, again, is the hotline for the National Eating Disorders Association. If you or anybody you know um, is experiencing domestic violence, you can um, start a chat by texting START to 88788, or you can call 800-799-7233, and I will put all this in information again in the episode description. Hello and welcome to How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back? I am your host, Rebecca Lee, and in this episode, I chat with actor and comedian Kelly Vrooman. Um, in this episode, we talk about depression. Um, I do want to put a trigger warning because we talk about um, abuse and eating disorders. Um, with that goes obsession and shame. We talk about how um, discussing things with, with your safe, trusted community is just the first way to sort of um, start your recovery journey. Anyway, there's a lot to discuss, and Kelly is so funny, so wonderful, so open, and I'm super excited for you to hear this episode. Um, so without further ado, this is How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest Kelly Vrooman. Kelly, you're here. You're doing I'm so it. Here, Rebecca. You're doing it. Um, <laughs> I'm living life. I'm talking to you. you. I'm doing this podcast. You got your coffee. I got my coffee. I'm so glad I saw you uh, doing improv the other week. And then I was like, oh my God, you have to come do this show. Hair looking thick. How do you have thick Thank hair? You. I feel like mom, like I feel like every mom I talked to was like, oh, I lost my hair when like I had a baby. And your hair is like fucking. Well, you know what happens is when you are pregnant, apparently yeah. your body just retains everything. It does, like doesn't shed anything, right? You're not shedding your uterine wall. You're not shedding sure. hair. Your nails grow. Like everything in your body just is like all the attention needs to go to keeping this body healthy and good and wonderful. So then after you have the baby, you're, what I've heard is that your hair falls out basically you you lose as much hair quickly as you did not lose for the entire year so like you didn't like all the hair that you would have lost naturally like over time just all of a sudden is like bye yeah and then you start back over um but mine never did that <laughs> so my body just like held it and then just kept it so <gasps> i feel incredibly blessed oh just my gosh mama you're so blessed mama hashtag thick hair <laughs> 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 oh, honestly so what a dream my I, my little smeagol golem hair could never could never i have like the two strands uh <laughs> well thank you so much for being here thank you for doing this um super excited to get get in depth with you so let's just start um if can't okay how do i want to frame this is there a low point a low challenge a low season in your life that you are most proud of overcoming and can you tell us about it? Yeah. So one of the ones that I'm most proud of, of like really working through to the point where it is not an issue in my life anymore, which I love to hold on to my issues. Mm. I, if I struggle with something at one point, I 
I just love, that's just a struggle I have. It's part of me and who I am, right? Such an actor. <laughs> I relate. <laughs> it's all fodder for the yeah. art. Um, but for, for me, one of the things that I, that used to be debilitating and now truly is not, is that, uh, I used to have a bunch of body dysmorphia, which led to eating disorders, definitely partly came from the fact that as a 15 year old girl, I had a really crappy abusive boyfriend who wanted to beat me down and make me feel worthless and more dependent on him, obviously. Um, and part of that way was by talking about my thighs being fat or whatever. And I, in, in like, <laughs> yeah, at that point when people as a teenager, people telling you things about yourself, I think because I didn't know myself well enough at the time, I, I like believed it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, 1000%. I, I feel like, um, I mean, that happened to me as an adult. So like as a, as a kid, like, uh, having an abusive ex. So like as a teen or a kid, like that's, that shapes you. What, what age did you say this was at? Um, I was started? 15 when we started dating and yeah. we broke up when I was 17, but in that it was a year and eight months ultimately that we were together. Like just the stuff. I mean, to, to talk about the abuse real quick, so you can like know where sure. I was at, um, it was uh, a lot of, um, oh, insulting and and uh, verbal abuse that way. Um, then threatening, uh, uh, his, his love was always conditional. Um, threatening if we would ever break up, he would kill himself. Mm. Um, and then the physical abuse was lots of like, forcing me to stay there while he berated me. So either that would be like sitting on me and holding me down or chasing me and grabbing me and like locking a room and forcing me to stay in there while we, while he told me whatever I had done wrong or, you know, put, put me in my place or got his point across, whatever that point was. And then there were definitely a couple of times too of like him choking me or throwing me downstairs, anything as I was like trying to get away. He was like, I just have to subdue you so that you stay here so that we can continue this conversation mm -hmm. instead of me being like, I feel unsafe. Everything in me wants to get out of this, right? Mm -hmm. So it was, it, it was the physical abuse paired with the, you're not good enough. That other girl's super hot. Um, you know, maybe I should go to her. I bet she would appreciate me type stuff. And so that along with just being 15 and having, I mean, everything in the world telling you, you have to be beautiful. I mean, this was before the days of Lizzo, right? Mm -hmm. Like that beauty was also thin. Beauty was very thin. So um, it, it really got to me. And I had a couple uh good friends too. Okay. So this is, this is wild. So health class. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, in junior high, we have a health class and we watch a video about eating disorders. It was an old video and it was freaking Ellen. What's her, what's her name from Grey's Anatomy? Oh, um, Pompe Pompe Pompeo. Yes. Ellen Pompeo. Ellen Pompeo. Ellen, <laughs> Ellen, Ellen P. P. <laughs> Ellen P of the Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> She, uh, she was in it as like a child <laughs> and, uh, what? vintage video. I didn't know. I also didn't know she was a child actor. She was, I mean, maybe she was like early twenties, but she looked sure. like a 
teenager. Yeah. Um, and she played a girl who was bulimic. And tell you what, that video was supposed to be like, look how gross it is to be bulimic. Look how dangerous. Look how skinny and gross you get. But you know what it actually did? It inspired me and taught me how to do it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so all I have to do is X, Y, Z. All I have to do is spit my food up afterward. And then I can also have a modeling career like LMP. Yeah. It's crazy. Fuck, that's wild. That is wild. Freaking wild. Oh my God. So many things. Like I, I so relate to that, that verbal abuse. I'll not, not as much the physical, like when I, when my ex physically, this is, I was an adult, you know, this was like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like, uh, when he finally like made it physical, that's like when I left, but like, like the verbal stuff is, I relate to that so much of being like, okay, well, if you're not going to fuck me, it would be like four in the morning, wake me up to fuck. And I'm like, I'm not fucking doing that. Okay. Well, if you're not going to fuck me, I'm going to call such and so my fuck buddy and she's going to come over and da, 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 da. Like people, and like a person I know that you would know, you know, like, and I'm just like, what is happening? And that is essentially then coercion. Uh-huh. You cannot consent under duress. Mm-hmm. And coercion, that is not actually legal consent. And so when you then have to enter into a a physical encounter with someone who has basically forced you to do that verbally, Mm -hmm. that's right. That's freaking physical assault. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, same with with my boyfriend. It was pressure, pressure into sex, man. And also, like... So then your body's not yours. Mm-hmm. You you get this feeling of I owe it to others to look a certain way. Everything about how I looked and felt came from uh, external forces, whether it was him wanting me to look a certain way or act a certain way and just the larger picture of I was his. Yeah. <laughs> and where I needed to be, my love needed to be his. Everything was his. Um, and then also, you know, the, the media I was watching, the things, the things I was into, it was like, I needed to match that nothing at the time when I was 15 was about what I wanted. Totally. Totally. I feel like our like generation growing up was really in that, like, I will tell you, media will tell you, I will tell you, how did your parents respond to to or like did they know what 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 to to what extent of both the eating disorder and their relationship yeah my my parents really were worried that I wasn't eating I got very very thin at one point but then also I think a little bit and I would have to ask my mom about like I feel like I could ask her about this now she and I have an incredible relationship now but um I feel like probably part of a little bit of it too is that even the adults like looking at a girl who is thin and because that's also what they were told they should be like my mm-hmm. mom was like it, at the church that we went to they had like a ladies jazzer size time so that they could all get fit for Jesus like it was <laughs> it was like take care of your body. God wants you to look. Also, it's your responsibility to look good for your husband. I was going to say, I feel like you. Yep. I feel like I've talked to a few people on here about like how religion has shaped them in like a negative way. And that was one of the things where it's like, uh, you cannot have sex with your partner until you're married. And all you're going to, then all you're going to do is have sex and you're going to have to be there for your husband to have sex with. And it's just like, 
oh, yeah. so nuts. I didn't grow up with religion. So like whenever I hear stuff like this, I'm like, oh my fucking God. And so I think, yeah. So there was this, like, you have a responsibility yeah. to be steward of your own physical appearance. We had a class in Sunday school at one point, and I guarantee you the boys did not have a class about how to wash their balls, no. but we had a class about feminine hygiene. <laughs> No, I can tell you they didn't. <laughs> I can tell you they did not. They absolutely did not have that class. Also, yeah. I saw a TikTok. This is such a fun episode because we're just going all over the place because this is mm-hmm. fun. It's fun to you're such well, a good also, conversationalist. Yeah. You're a good yeah. conversationalist. Okay. okay, I saw this TikTok and it was like a doctor talking about like crazy shit that that I think it was a man that he saw in his office. And like he said, so many men come in and sit down on the thing with the paper, the white paper. And when they leave, there's poop on there because they don't wipe because they don't wipe their butts. And there's poop in between their fucking ass cheeks that when they sit on the thing and then they leave, there's fucking a skid mark on it. And I'm like, how do you like this is why I hate, like I hate you all, you know, like wow, there's such little fucking babies that they can't even wipe their asses. That's insane. That uh-huh. is I, I am shocked, and also that is not at all shocking. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, wow. So, okay, so okay. And you asked me, like, how, yes. how did my parents feel yes. about it? My parents existed in this place of not wanting to push me further away. And so while I know now they would have handled it very differently, they would have forced it some really hard conversations, Um but they were afraid that it was going to push me further away if they were like, you can't see this guy. Um, but the 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 large umbrella that really kept everyone silent was the conservative Christian um, evangelical upbringing that I had. Having sex before marriage was the worst thing you could possibly do. And so they definitely, I think, suspected it, didn't want to believe that it was happening, I could not talk about it with anybody. And so I then basically was forced to learn about sex in a vacuum from an abuser. Mm. And it led me into more and more silence and more and more shame. And shame doesn't know boundaries, right? Shame does not say, oh, you will just feel shame about sex. No, shame bleeds over into everything. When shame is a motivating force, you have one thing you're shameful about, but then that is linked to, okay, well, in my case, I'm ashamed that I'm having sex because I'm supposed to be ashamed of it. Okay, well, then that shame, you get used to that feeling of shame. Oh, well, I'm ashamed of how my body looks while I'm having sex. I'm ashamed of my body all the time. I'm ashamed of how Uh, my clothes are fitting. My clothes don't fit me like that girl in the advertisement. I'm ashamed of that my skin's not clear enough. I'm ashamed that I, uh, you know, am not super short and tiny like that other, his ex-girlfriend, right? Like the shame just goes on and on and on. Um, And then the longer I lived in the shame, the harder it was to come out of it. And so Um, eventually I did break up with this guy. I went to work at a camp and was physically away from him and fortunately developed a crush on another counselor. Mm -hmm. And my boyfriend had always said, like, if you ever want to break up with me, you, uh, just need to tell me you never loved me because if you, if once you love someone, you always love them. So if you tell me you don't love me, that means you never loved me. And you're a liar is essentially his messed up logic. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. 
So because I developed a new crush on someone else and because I had physically been away from him and I had never spoken about him being abusive because I never wanted to make him look bad. Sure. In our small little social circles, yep. I did not want him to look bad. Relatable. So I, in this situation, and honestly, it's because I was flirting with this dude and we were just chatting. He's like, you have a boyfriend? I was like, yeah, I have a boyfriend, but I don't know. He's not really nice to me. He was like, what do you mean? He's not really nice to you. And for him, it was not a joke. For him, he's not flirting in this situation. He's just going, wait, what? And for me, I'm like, yeah, no big deal really you know he just pushes me downstairs <laughs> right but, you know here I am flirting by and then the look on his face when I said that is what told me oh I am in a messed up situation holy crap like seeing it on someone else's face the first time I spoke it aloud it showed me what the real truth of the situation was that because I'd gotten so used to living under that umbrella of shame and secrecy um and fear and dependence right uh, I I had forgotten, or maybe I never even really knew because there was no one else to bounce it off of because of the silence my whole community was in about premarital sex. Yeah, it's just like, honestly, a perfect storm of like all of these things that make shame happen, right? It's like the vacuum. It's the uh, that time in the world where we had to look a certain way and like, you know, all that stuff. Um, Okay, so then you break up with him. How old are so you now? We point? break up. I'm 17. Okay. I uh, still have some of my senior year of, of high school, and it sucked so bad because his bullying did not stop. Oh, it just was now he was spreading rumors about me, telling, you know, telling people things that I did, and he went to, I mean, I, I don't even know exactly what he told people, but I know, I mean, just the stuff that he would say I was willing to do in the bedroom was like crazy. And mm. uh, also I should say, I went to a conservative Christian high school. Sure. So that is also even worse. So like, yep. he, like sure, a girl might be slut shamed at a public school, but when you're at a Christian school and being slut shamed, I mean, it's a whole different level because your soul is attached to it. Oh well, my God. Soul is attached. So uh, again, lots of loneliness. And one of the things I could control was what I ate mm. uh, or whether or not I kept what I ate down. And right. I was not, ex I mean, I was a, I was a cheerleader, but I was not doing any sort of exercise. I wasn't doing anything that, <laughs> you know, exercise is so good for you. <laughs> like it's good for your mind. It's good for everything. And, um, I just look now looking back on it, I can, I can definitely say I was depressed and so exercise is really hard to do when you're depressed, although it's really good for you to do when you're depressed. So, but the way I, I regained control or at least felt like I was taking control was by uh, just getting really, really a stickler for what I was eating and how I was eating. And um, part of that too, my first time realizing how long I could go without food was when I was still dating my boyfriend and I thought I was pregnant. And the only thing worse than having premarital sex as a teenager within the Christian community is then aborting the fetus that um, comes from having premarital sex. <laughs> like that's the only, so I was like, okay, well I can't abort this. I cannot abort this, but maybe I could start out. <laughs> oh fuck. Yeah. Isn't that so messed up to be yeah. 15? To do in your own like, like secret terror and fear alone having to deal with that because 
the alternative. I don't even think people would have been like, oh, Kelly, come here. Let's you you're a child. Let me hold you and help you through this. No, it would have been, well, you shouldn't be having sex. Um, if you weren't having sex, you wouldn't be in the situation where you were with an abuser, where you were maybe thinking you were pregnant with an abuser's baby. Like none of that would have mattered because the fact that I was having sex would have overshadowed all of it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, big, you know, circle of shame, craziness. So then I go to college and I do start working out, but I got like crazy, crazy dependent and not that saying people need to work out in order to be healthy. Right. For me, that was part of the answer to then, um, uh, not having what I put in my mouth be something I obsessed over. And for people who've never had an eating disorder, like it consumes every moment of your, I mean, it's an addiction, And so it's so like everything you eat, you're calculating, or at least I was like, you're calculating how many calories is this? What will I have to do to burn these calories? If I spit it out, where can I go? Where can I spit it out? I need to make sure nobody can hear me. I mean, you have all these like, you're playing uh, situational gymnastics, Mm. but like everything. And so food was not a life-giving source to me. Food was not something that people would be like, Ooh, let's go eat. Oh, I feel so good after I eat. Mm, That meal was delicious. No, because that's when it kicks in. Should I spit it out? How many calories did I get? Is it, can I physically, you know, all that. Um, so when I was at college started, um, working out and I would like snack on a little bagel for like, nah, 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 like for hours and then be like, all right, now I'm going to go to the elliptical and do the elliptical for 20 minutes or whatever I thought mm-hmm. I needed to do. So, um, It wasn't until I talked, kind of how I talked to that guy that I had a crush on about my abusive relationship. I was so used to this being my relationship with food that I didn't know how unhealthy it was until I mentioned it to a a mentor. She was a a adjunct professor that we had become friends. And I mentioned it to her in passing. And it was another one of those, whoa, 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 wait, what? And for me to see the look on her face is what told me, the truth of my situation. And I was like, oh, wow. She was like, I think you should talk to someone about this. I think you need therapy. And I Mm. went, oh, thank you so much. That is very helpful. I will not do therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing is like, you don't know until you know. Like you (laughs) think when you grow up in a certain way, that's what you know is normal until someone's like, I'm sorry, say that again. And you're like, oh, uh, yeah, I don't eat like or whatever your thing is, you yeah. know, like, yeah, God damn. OK, OK. Yeah, it's a while. So she's like, you should go to therapy and you're like, not going to do that. So then what happens? Well, yeah. And that was at least like the beginning of me knowing that there was really a problem and that I don't need that to be something I obsess and and, and bummed out over all the time every day. So uh I honestly, it's so, it's, it's wild. I kind of, for me, I think knowledge is the, I have this pattern in my life that as soon as I have the knowledge of something that truly is the biggest way I can start to get over something. Like Mm. just having awareness, being aware of something. Once I'm aware of something that is, that doesn't need to be in a certain way. I mean, it is like, I, I do have a lot of my own personal resources and the people in my life and conversations I've had, and I'm a pretty in tune person. And so 
just having knowing, oh my gosh, it doesn't need to be that way. Well, then why don't I just have it not be that way? Like, and I know a lot of people can't like people that truly are addicts and there's like chemical responses to things that like keep telling them to do this thing that's like bad for them, that this is, this isn't like a technique that would really <laughs> work. Sure. But for me, as someone who was just like, it like broke this kind of cage that I was in. It was like, oh, I can step outside of this cage. Okay. And so I just kind of started doing a little bit of research, like, you know, how to, how to get past uh, an eating disorder. There's so many things like, you know, go check yourself into this clinic for like 60 days or whatever and stuff like that. And I didn't need, I I was too cheap, didn't have any money. Also was very ashamed that I had had this problem, that I had this problem, right? So I'm going to handle it on my own. Um, But yeah, so what I kind of just started doing was obsessing about other things that Mm. were healthier to obsess Mm. over. Sure. (laughs) So like I, no matter what rain or shine, no matter what my plans were, no matter how tired I was or how much homework I had, I would work out. Um, I got into a play and then kind of had no time to really worry about food and would just have to run to the cafeteria, grab something, shove it down my face and then get over and, and do the production. And um, I think busyness probably became like the thing that forced me to stop obsessing about food. And it was probably four years or so. I was out of college by the time I remember waking up one morning and realizing I didn't go to bed feeling shitty because of what I ate the previous day. Like, truly, it would be like, I would, as you're laying in bed and kind of like just your general, general, I'm not someone that always intentionally thinks about what my day was, but I will, I'll lay down and kind of have a feeling about how the day was. And that feel, it wasn't until I didn't have the feeling of like, oh man, okay, well, tomorrow I'm not going to eat that cookie and I'm not going to, tomorrow I'm just going to start with a salad. Like I would run through my brain, the things that I ate that I didn't want to eat and how next day I was going to do better. But one morning I woke up and I was like, I, oh my gosh, I didn't do that before I went to bed last night. Oh my gosh. And that was kind of like the start of like, it had lost its power. Mm over me um I also just starting to have conversations with people made it lose its power same yeah. thing like when I had that conversation initially with that my mentor like oh yeah here she was like uh, hmm, what nope that to talk to other people that had experienced that sometimes it was helpful <laughs> to talk to people who were worse off than I was in it because I'm able to go okay okay, cool. I'm not hopeless. And also they're not hopeless, but like, as you're healing, it, it was nice for me to identify people that kind of had it a little worse mm. so that I could go, Oh, good. Kelly, you're making progress. That's good for you. Keep going, buddy. Keep going self. But, um, so I'm out of college and really in a good place. Like I felt healthy Um, I was having fun making food, making healthy foods. Um, I would still like binge, uh, and occasionally purge, but it wasn't like a regular part of, of my daily routine. And then I auditioned for the first commercial I ever ever auditioned for. And it was- Wait, where are you at now? Like, like city wise? Yeah. So at this point I am in Philadelphia. Okay. And, uh- 
auditioned for an LA weight loss commercial just because they were like, they wanted some actors and they wanted some real people. And the, uh, it was my first time ever being subjected to uh, ca a casting notice and the way that they harshly refer to people. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, it was like <laughs> normal, pretty, uh, slightly overweight <laughs> was was the casting call. You guys, casting notices are crazy for people who like don't know. Like I feel like they got they've gotten better, but like normally they're like not really that pretty, average looking or like or even worse than that. Like like you just said, like kind of overweight or it'll be like a fat person and it's just like that's how it used to be, at least. And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. God. I think they're definitely getting a little more sensitive about it because yeah. now people can post that and be like, look right. what this casting director just put out, right? Yeah. But before social media, it was like, oh, it's just horrendous. Yeah. Or at least like before people knew how to start utilizing social media to hold people accountable. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, okay. this and the casting director or uh, actually um, – was like we had a mutual friend and so the mutual friend said to me she was like hey the casting director wants you to know this does not mean you're fat this is just commercial a little bit heavy like commercial five pounds is what is how she referred to it it's a commercial could could stand to lose a commercial five pounds the fuck is like, that what is a commercial five pounds that reminds me of what's that <laughs> when um kristen wig and oh uh Oh my God, with Katherine Heigl, what's that movie called where she's pregnant? Uh, knocked Up, Knocked Up. With knocked Up. And they're like sitting in there and Kristen Wiig's like, we just want you like tighter. And she's like, what? Do you remember that part? Yeah, anyway, yeah. that's what I'm reminding yeah. of. Okay, yeah, just a commercial, a commercial five. Whatever yeah, that so you can means. stand to lose a commercial five. Um, this spot was for you. Well, the wild thing is, uh, part of, and again, it's like, this is insane that this is how they cast it. And by the way, so I've gotten to a pretty good place, right? I'm like feeling healthy, feeling good. Food is something I can appreciate and actually have fun with now. Then I get this commercial audition. It was a little bit of a blow, but honestly handled it pretty well. I was like, okay, commercial five. I got to have a thick skin for this industry. All right. Okay. Not a thing. I can do this. So then the audition process, they picked like 10 of us and then in order to actually make it into the commercial, you needed to be able to speak honestly about how the products of LA Weight Loss had worked for you. So they put all 10 of us on the products for a week. What is that? What is that? So it's like they had like a um like a lose seven pounds in seven days with uh this eating regimen and these these like cereal bars and this Got it. and yeah. So you had to do that for a week and then basically they would I had to go into an LA weight loss center. They weighed me. I did that for a week and then I went back in. They weighed me again. And basically it was like whoever made progress would then be in the commercial, would then get paid to come in and film the commercial. So you got paid to do that week and then you would get paid to like, I don't know that LA weight loss does this anymore. Probably not. But that's how this particular casting office outside of Philly, or not casting office, but like the production company did yeah. this. So I uh, was like, I need this $500 so bad fresh out of college i need this 500 dollars. so i was a stickler to everything i mean i'm talking like you had to get a cereal that did not have sugar in the first five ingredients you could only have half a cup of that in the morning i mean it was something like that right well i stuck to it with the legalism of uh uh with the legalistic uh the attitude of a freaking nun i was and it 
the work that I had done over the past four years was gone in mm -hmm. one week. Every bit of it gone. Food was now something to be obsessed over. And not only did like my body depend on it, but now my job depended on it. And it was fierce. And so I was 21 when that happened. And it wasn't for another nine years when I turned 30 that I finally came to a good place yeah. <laughs> because in your twenties, at least for me, it was like quarter life crisis time. It was like, all right, let's who, like, who am I again? Who do I, who do I, who am I entirely apart from my parents? What is that? Who am I in this body? Mm. Oh my gosh, this body is not good enough. Shoot. I knew it wasn't good enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So then in, um, in my late twenties, I started, uh, I had never, by the way, I've never been a runner. I had never run a mile ever. And then in my late twenties, um, I was working on a TV show and, and some of the other people were, uh, getting training to do a, uh, 10 mile run. Just a second. My husband is, uh, doing something loud. Oh, I couldn't even hear it, but there we go. 10 miles. So yeah, so I, so there's a 10 mile run in Philadelphia called the Broad Street Run. And it is like kind of slightly down the hill the whole way. People come out, bands are playing, like everyone's cheering you on. It is the best run anyone can possibly, it is so much fun. So I was like, I want to do that. Let me start doing that. And so again, I re-switched what my obsession was from food. And this time it became to running mm. and it was anytime day or night. Like I would, I would make sure I got my run in. I started like figuring out how long I had to run to then work up to running the 10 miles. And for the first time in my life, because I was burning so many calories, I was able to eat whatever I wanted. <laughs> And I did, and I was ravenous, but it, it, what it did is it got me into this. It like helped me understand that food is fuel, that you can also enjoy food and food can be a really neat thing, but it has a purpose for the good of your body. And so instead of it being something that was my enemy, it became my friend because I needed certain things to fuel me. So I could physically get my body from point A to point B and the power that I felt so when I was basically, when you're like training, you run up to, you don't run the full 10 miles or you don't run the full, uh, marathon, 26.2 miles. You like build up, like before you run a marathon, you run up to like 20 miles, right? You build up to that. And then on the day of you run that extra six, when it was the 10, I trained up to seven. And then on the day ran the full 10. And once I got to that seven mile mark and I was listening to music and just running and like looking at the people cheering me on and there's signs everywhere and everyone's going nuts and running. And I hit that seven mile mark. And the first step I took after that seven mile mark, I was like, I am doing something right now. I have never done before. I have never run further than seven miles. It was such a clear victory and such a clear, like, it's not every day that we truly get to go oh my gosh, I'm doing something I've never done before. I mean, we actually do do that, right? Whether it's like in your routine or the way you walk this way or, oh, you've never seen, you've never noticed that sign before, right? But when it's something that you are actually working toward and bam, all of a sudden you are doing it. And this next step is something I've never done before. And for the next three miles, every step was something I had never done before. And it was all 
directly related to like my power, (laughs) my ability, my strength, like everything. I felt like, oh my gosh, this, this is me obsessing over (laughs) my body or obsessing over, um, like my progress or where I fit in the world, like all of it just kind of became this like animalistic one foot in front of the other, like you got this bam. And when I ran over that finish line, it was this feeling of like, I felt like I could do anything. Mm -hmm. I, I, for the, I truly think for the first time at 30 years old, I, my body was mine. Since having my body not become mine after hitting adolescence, because that's something that society does to women, at least it did at the time, and I know we're getting better, but it's still such a thing. As soon as you have boobs, as soon as you have a butt, as soon as you are not a child, you are there for people to look at and comment on if they want mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, like, look at comments of any beautiful person in or anybody with anything, right? In the comments, people love to, if it's women, man, just comment on their body. And so- at the end of the thing, I mean, no, nobody is looking at your body like, yeah, your sexy body just ran 10 miles. No, right. it's like, you're just like high five and other people who just did it. And all you want to do is eat a whole bunch of bananas because you have cramps and like it, it, yeah, it was just reclaim, reclaiming me that my body got me from point A, nothing else helps my body to get there. I guess the shoes I was wearing, right? But like nothing else. It was no, there was no uh, bus. There was no bike. There was no anything. It was just me. My body got me from point A to point B. And after that, I've had an entirely different relationship with my body. And I have two kids now and having children also, you know, help me kind of reevaluate my, my relationship with my body again. And it's hard after you have kids. Cause all of a sudden you're like, well, it doesn't all look the same. And I, I fortunately was able to like, come back to about the same weight. I mean that, you know, the, a weight that I feel comfortable at, but you're like, okay, well the stomach skin is a little bit looser than it ever is. But the, my relationship with my body now and my body's imperfections is entirely different after kind of reclaiming it for myself on that run. And I did multiple other runs and was training for a marathon and then my knee went bad. So I wasn't able to finish it. And I think had I not already kind of reclaimed my body as my own, not being able to do that marathon would have been devastating to me. Mm, Yeah. 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 Do you feel like, well, I have a couple of thoughts on that. It's like, why, like I don't drink, so like why in like program stuff they they want you to like keep going to meetings because like even when you're in a spot where like you feel good about your whatever the issue that you're working on is or like your life is good or whatever something will happen where you yeah. where it triggers you, it like how the audition situation did for you and even though you like thought that you were good now all of a sudden you're fucking back where you started. Um, but also, I was curious, did that, because I know you mentioned control as like a through line, um, like needing to control something. Do you, did that like transfer to anything else? Like it sounds like exercise, but was it ever like a exercise anorexia type of situation where you're like doing it too much? Or sure. how did that need for control manifest if you didn't have it for, you know, the eating anymore? Yeah. Um, I think for a while it actually became exercise and drinking. Like, Mm. like I would, 
go out to happy hour with my coworkers, but I knew it was a night I needed to run 16 miles. And so I would go out, have a couple beers and then run 16 miles. God damn. <laughs> Which makes the running of the 16 miles a lot harder. <laughs> Who would have imagined? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely don't feel, you know, I know this podcast is like, how did, you know, how did you completely overcome it? No, it's always going to be a, a, oh yeah. And control, um, reclaiming control for myself. I, I think another, uh, another part of reclaiming, reclaiming control also was I became an absolute serial dater and was basically the ways that like my boyfriend had, I had to train myself to not use some of his techniques Yeah, he used to gain control. So like mm-hmm. I would be dating a bunch of people at one time and then would just ghost or, would like not really pit them against each other, but like kind of, you know, like just the things that at the time I was like, this is fun and carefree and I'm in my twenties and who cares? And none of it matters, but it does because I'm hurting those people. I'm teaching them bad behaviors, right? Right. There's a cycle of abuse, just abuse wants to continue and will continue generationally from person to person until we freaking put a stop to it. Somebody has to be the one that's like, and the abuse stops here. I will not pass it on. And it takes a lot to, to be conscious of that in every conversation and every argument that you have with, with your partners and oh yeah and everything all of it is like you know having to check in and be like am i am i yeah yeah like i i'll stop myself and i'll be like oh my god i see i literally can see two paths right now one is like a path that's not good that like i picked up from my father that i don't want to do but like i know i could easily do Mm -hmm. it and get what i want or this other path that's gonna be harder but like the more morally sound path and like you can see like you can see it and be like no I gotta go this way but like I have to check myself too because of the upbringing that I had yeah it's more morally sound but that that morally sound path almost always takes more humility and patience and like letting go of self and pride yeah ego for sure so freaking hard yep that's so hard because also like I think in in our in our culture one of the ways that um oh all the stuff that we've been talking about whether it's uh, abuse and shame and um uh obsession and addiction that it keeps you know having its power to stay is that like we are weird the pendulum is swinging where it used to be shame was what was like a huge motivating factor for everyone in the 90s and before right shame was like don't feel shame and I know other cultures that is still like their number one thing um but then now it's like people got too depressed and too sad and too down and so now it's like you are everything you are the center of the universe you are perfect don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise and so the pen which is also not true and it's also gonna because then when you prove to yourself or when something inevitably happens that tells you you're not perfect or you're not the center of the universe then who are you? And once again, you're left with like, not with no resources, or at least not enough resources in order to be able to handle things in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, all, it's all that balance. Totally. Kids I'm- trying to figure out how to 
help them navigate all that. It's like crazy. Don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I've brought up like the pendulum swinging thing before because it's like it does have to swing hard to either direction before you can like find a middle ground and that like takes time, you know. But yeah, I can't imagine having to teach two young ones you know how to how to do it that's why I'm so like in awe of every parent because I'm like I still have to parent like myself I don't even know like what I would even say to kids I mean mine are young they're one and three so but like even that like with my daughter because all three-year-olds are sociopaths like all just all of them are that's just what you are it's a survival technique right get everything for myself take everything from others and just stay alive like (laughs) yeah she like we're having to talk about like how our toys when friends come over our friends get to choose what they're going to play with first that's part of being a kind person and a good host the idea of like hosting and like putting others before yourself it's truly not a thing that we are born with yeah that's so true kids are like no that one's mine to play with you can't play with that yeah that's so true how but has, then it also, yeah, you don't want to teach her only care about other people. It's like, yeah, how do you like, what are, what are the situations? What are the appropriate times where you truly need to stop? What do I need? What is, what's, what, how do I care for myself here? But then there's lots of times when you go, I mean, I guess that's what they say, right? You care for yourself and then you can go, Phew, okay, now I'm capable to look out and be there and like help others or think of others or put others before myself because I can do that right now. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's like also part of being a codependent, uh, which is something that I am, is like there are different characteristics of a codependent and some of them are like, you know, the things that you think of where it's like uh, being maybe a people pleaser or putting others before you. But then there's aspects of being a codependent that I more am in line with, which is like the control thing where it's like you want to control how the other person sees you or what their emo- their emotional response. And I just think it's so interesting because we think of codependency as this one thing, but it's also a control thing. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting when you read more up on it. Um, how did you, like, how do you maintain, I mean, honestly, just like your sanity in this crazy world? Like, how do you make <laughs> sure that you're on track with whether it's like, like ED recovery stuff or uh, like uh, control stuff or obsession stuff or just existing in this world? Like, do you go to therapy? Like, do you move your body or how do you do that? Uh, I have gone to therapy at um, at different times. I was blessed to have a therapist that wanted to work herself out of a job. Like a good therapist, like meaning she truly wanted to give me the tools I could use to then not need her gotcha. <laughs> anymore. And I had a couple, I had another therapist before her that was very like, wanted me to be dependent on her. Sure. Like, kind of, like made me feel like I needed her for the rest of my life. And then this one was, I just felt so hopeful. Um, so I think, I mean, honestly, I'm just, just I'm still like incorporating some of the stuff she did, some of the breathing techniques, some sure. of the like living moment stuff, like, because of the trauma of the um, abuse and everything that came as a res- as a result of that or that 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 fed into, I have trauma brain where I'm always trying to think one step ahead, trying to be prepared for any situation, um, and that has been 
the biggest hurdle is to um, just be able to be in a state of feeling safe. Like right now I'm talking to you, nothing can hurt me. Like I'm sitting at my desk in my house, like nothing can hurt me. I'm right here. This is a conversation with you. <sighs> just freaking be here, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. And that's, it's kind of just been a day-to-day moment to moment thing for me and why I, I feel in such a healthy place. Like I was having a conversation with some people the other day and I was just honest and, and said, I feel happy. Mm-hmm. Like I feel happy in my life right now. I feel so fortunate to be in a really I mean, it's a dramatic word, but kind of like blissful stage of my life right now where the problems are all workable. Mm-hmm. The, uh, my kids are loving and young and, you know, they haven't completely gone out on their own in a way that is for sure probably going to be devastating and hard to see. Um, my, I have my health, my husband has his health, like my parents have their health. Uh, I, but I think in the past, I would have been living in fear in this. Oh no, when's the ball going to drop? When's the mm. ball going to drop? And and having worked through and identifying again, it wasn't until going to that therapist and having her go, Kelly, you don't have to live always going, what's next? Like, you don't have to live that way. It's the same thing with the, yeah, Kelly, that's abuse. Yeah, Kelly, that's an eating disorder. Yeah, Kelly, that's trauma brain. <laughs> you don't have to live in the when's the ball gonna drop and so that's that's just what i've been doing is just yeah kind of taking that the the mindful practice of man it's a freaking good day today right now is a really good moment what do i want to be doing with my time sometimes that is watching the bear some (laughs) most of the time it's getting out and like seeing something and having an adventure so that's that's kind of where i am my husband just brought me some lunch. Oh my gosh, husband of the year. Ah, we love to see it. Wow, I'm so freaking excited. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and bliss right there. Lunch freaking bliss, to your man. Desk. I'm in a good spot in my life. Yeah. Um, also having friends that like don't pretend. Mm. Um, I am, I, I do not have, uh, I, I truly don't. All of my closest friends are incredibly real, um, genuinely kind, not fake, but um, yeah, they're just like living and striving to live an honest, thoughtful existence. And so I think having those people in my life and uh, getting those people out that don't have that. Isn't it wild like how long it takes to get that group of people you know, like in life, it's so crazy. And like, especially as an adult, like when you move and you're making new friends too, like that's a challenge in and of itself. But like, yeah, the community you surround yourself with is so important. It is so important. And so many people can make you dependent on them going Mm. back to my abuser, right? Like, oh, your other friends, you know what? Your other friends don't treat you as nice as they should. Oh, well then I shouldn't be with those friends. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the friendships that I've recently lost, um, that was, that was something, and I might've done that to them too. I truly don't know. I don't think so, but that is something that I'm noticing the friends I have now don't do. There are times that they'll be like, "Mm, I don't think that was fair. How that person talked to you or in that interview, 
you know, did they see this? Ah, you know what? That's a red flag, right? They can call out red flags, but they're never going, oh, oh, that person is so terrible. God, if everyone loved you like I love you, you know, like, right. like I, I've had friendships like that and stayed in those friendships for a while and never really felt safe until I was yeah. out and went, oh, oh, that's not a good friendship. I think I also feel like people don't understand the lasting effects that abuse has on a person because even though like, you know, my abuse was like, uh, God, like nine years ago, eight, nine years ago at this point, it still very much affects the things that I do or even just like reactions to like loud noises or something like that, where it like will completely put me in a state of fear. Even if it's, if I know that it's my neighbor, it doesn't matter. Like it's still the, my gut reaction is like, what the fuck was that? Am I safe? You know? Um, but it lasts. And I'm sure you feel the same way about certain things that you still have to work through. Yes. It takes so much intentional training to then even recognize when you're doing it because I got to the point where existing in that heightened state of my senses always being a little like I got so used to that that letting that go I was like wait what's wrong Mm. okay good it's back now like that became my comfortable place totally was being on edge yep yeah yeah I got used to god yeah I feel like I'm in a place right now where I'm like I feel like I'm on edge a lot and it takes a lot of like, I don't know, like trust and patience and like you have to like want to have a good life. You know, there's still part of me that's like, well, am I worthy of having a good life? Like, shouldn't I be on edge? Shouldn't I? Like you were saying how I think it's so incredible that you can be like, no, I'm like in a blissful place right now because that's really hard to do, you know, because then you have to. That means you have to say that you're worthy of that thing, you know. And I yeah. feel like people who have been abused, I don't, I don't want to say this is you, but like have been told that you're not that, you're not worthy of that right. thing. Right. You know? Yep. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. And also as artists, I think we think that if we're in a happy place, that mm. means you're not working hard enough. Yep. Totally. I am working harder than I, I mean, I'm just, I'm working smarter. Mm-hmm. I'm only working on things I want to be. I can smell bullshit a thousand miles away now and be like, no, thank you. Don't want to work on that. Don't want to go do that show. Don't want to do this. But then I think part of that is I'm now getting asked to do things, more things that I do want to do because I'm not just busying myself. Right. Yeah. My last question before we wrap up is if, if there is this person out there that's experiencing a low point in their life or a challenge, Um, is there a piece of advice you could give them? Um, oh gosh, admit it to yourself. Um, like identify, do anything you can to identify the source of that stuff to like, whether it's therapy, um, well, definitely therapy, (laughs) therapy is great. Um, but find a therapist who's able to help you, um, like I, identify what is going on, but then also give you resources with which to deal with it in your daily life and then do it. And like, it is so hard to keep noticing, oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again because you just get comfortable doing those bad behaviors. Right. But just really starting to recognizing it and putting the work into that. Um, and then also the, the finding some friends that you can just having conversations where you are just really honest in a safe way 
can be just so enlightening and empowering because knowledge is power, man. Once you're told, once you see from someone that you truly respect, once they can kind of shed light on something that you never saw it a certain way or whatever, all of a sudden you, you exist in a different plane of existence, right? You now exist in a world where you see blank to be true, or you now know this information about yourself or that this thing about you is not good and not how you have to live. Mm. It's so used to feeling like feeling shitty is an essential part of the human experience. And while we do have those ups and downs, you don't have to live. There are things people can do. And I know this comes, this is a very privileged place to say that, right? I'm not living in complete poverty in a country under a dictator who's like, you know, I'm being raped every day. Like, you know, like there, there is a freaking, like that is a different situation. And that I cannot speak to that. Oh my gosh, I want to cry right now, even thinking about <laughs> the fact that that exists in the world in a ton of places. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is only <laughs> my thoughts right now are only for people who are also in a very privileged sure. <laughs> position where you can, you have the luxury to think about your mental health. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, but totally. yeah, I think for me, it was just truly, truly the, the feeling in this healthy place right now is a lot of just knowing and recognizing and then doing a little bit of work every day in those moments. Yep. Yeah. I also feel like the more you talk about things, the more other people are like, oh, me too. And it's like, then you don't feel as yeah. alone as maybe you did before. Um, Cause you're like, wait, really you? And it's like, yeah. So I do think that's like another benefit to just like finding a, a safe person to talk to and then, you know, evolving from there. But Thank yeah. you so much for giving me an hour. I'm going to let you enjoy your lunch, your beautiful lunch that was my brought to you by your beautiful husband. Uh, Without obsessing about it with my eating disorder. Yeah, we love it. Uh, absolutely. Thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back? I'm Rebecca Lee. And if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review, a comment, like it, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this right now. And remember new episodes every Thursday. Take good care of yourself.